Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole, leading functional medicine expert and best-selling author. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up, everybody? It's Dr. Will Cole, and welcome to the art of being well. I'm a leading functional medicine practitioner. My day job, my heart, my passion is I get to talk to people around the world via webcam. I started one of the world's first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world over a decade ago. And yeah, from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., I get to look at labs and get to the root cause of why people are struggling with their health issues, to give them tools to have agency over their health. I love what I get to do. So this podcast is an outpouring of my passion for wellness, my passion for my patients, my passion for functional medicine, and getting to see on an hourly basis the impact that this field of healthcare can have on one's life and the resilience of the human body and human health. It's it never gets old for me. So I've written a few books about this stuff too. Uh, if you want to learn more about this, you can check out drwillcole.com. I wrote Ketotarian, The Inflammation Spectrum. And my newest book is called Intuitive Fasting. You may have been following on social media or maybe heard a little bit of the buzz and the conversation that's happening uh, around intuitive fasting upon its release a couple of days ago as of me recording this. So I want to talk a little bit about it before we get to today's guest. I'm kind of breaking from the normal format that I do on the show because I want to speak on this a little bit. There's been a lot of controversy and a lot of uh, social media noise uh, and even in the press about intuitive fasting. And I just wanted to speak on it and bring my perspective and my context, since I'm the one who actually wrote the book. If you want me to just tell you a little bit about what intuitive fasting is to give greater context, the idea that flexible windows of fasting and delicious healthy foods could be intuitive, it's only paradoxical when we're hangry and metabolically inflexible. When blood sugar is balanced, when satiety signaling is improved, when inflammation is lowered, our gut is healthier and metabolism is more stable, we will be able to eat and gently fast intuitively, not because it's arduous or punitive thing. It's because 
we're more, more metabolically fle flexible. We can go longer without eating and we feel great. And then we break the fast when we want to. We do this intuitively. That's what I'm talking about. In my experience here, when you have agency over your health, you can find food peace. Being centered, grounded, and in touch with your body, having agency over your food and having agency over your life instead of food controlling you. I have an intuition. My patients have an intuition. So do thousands of people on a path that may be different than yours. Flexible fasting and eating is intuitive for us. We eat and fast when we want to with ease and grace. That's our experience. That's our experience, not everybody's. But I talk about eating disorders again in detail in the book. With the utmost love, with the utmost care and respect, I say very clearly throughout the book to discuss with your eating disorder specialist and your doctor. This isn't for everyone. I want to say that again. That's the heart of what I do in functional medicine, bio-individuality. We are all different. I have patients that intermittent fast and patients that don't intermittent fast. If it's not for you, let it go. It's not personal. You are loved. You are heard. And if you're still committed to misunderstanding me, then move on. All right, let's get to something more positive. And today's guest is freaking amazing. His name is Simon Chang. He's a dear friend of mine. He is a founder. He is the founder and CEO of Peak. In his 20s, Simon went through a decade of health issues that left him with staples in both lungs and a screw in his jaw, uh, celebrating his 30th birthday with a tube for delivering antibiotics directly into his heart valve. He said never again and took back control of his health. Simon earned his undergraduate and master's degree from Harvard and Stanford and is the youngest member of Harvard School of Public Health's Nutrition Roundtable. Some of the things that we talk about in today's episode that I really want you to just hear now to get excited, we talk about the inspiration behind Peak Tea, including Simon's decade of health problems before he took control of his own health journey. We talk about the many health benefits of the different varieties of teas. Guys, I'm a tea aficionado, so professed by the way, but I want you to geek out on the science of teas, all the teas and the different ones. And yeah, it's so good. We talk about the Eastern traditional approaches to health and longevity. We talk about how we can utilize tea to deepen our fasting practices and the combination of tea and meditation and why it can change your day. Let's get right to my conversation with Simon Chang. I'm Arielle Laurie, host of the Blonde Files podcast, where every Wednesday I cover all things wellness. After nearly dying from drugs and alcohol six years ago, I've been on a mission to live my best, most fulfilled life, and I'm sharing everything with you. From how to achieve optimal health, well-being, and fulfillment, to the best beauty tips and even cosmetic procedures, I cover it all with raw, candid conversations with experts and inspirational guests make sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Simon, thanks so much for being on the show. It's a pleasure, Will. It's a pleasure. This is probably not a good thing to say because I have lots of great people on the show and a lot of them are my friends and people that I love and all people that I respect or I wouldn't have them on the show. But you're one of my favorite people to talk to in the world and I, I, I don't get to talk to you enough. So I'm, I'm excited that we're talking. Well, thank you so much for saying that. I know this uh, the pandemic has kept us apart, but it's uh, it's wonderful that we get to do this and, and get to do this with your whole audience too. So thank yes, you. Yes, oh, the pleasure is all mine. You know, when you, you hang out with somebody and they just 
bring an energy and shift the whole dynamic of the room and you just feel at peace and it's calm and we don't even get to see each other that often, but it's, you're just, you definitely know that you practice what you teach because you, you do shift the whole dynamic of the room with what you, what you practice and this sort of inner peace, this inner stillness that I want to share with everybody today. Uh-oh. So let's, let's go back in time. Tell me about your, your story. How did you, how did Peak come to be? And, and tell us about Peak for people that are, that are new mm-hmm. to understanding it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for that huge compliment, first of all. That just kind of made, made my day. Peak is really the culmination of my personal health journey. Um, I, I grew up largely in Hong Kong till I was in my teens. And I was surrounded by this culture of tea being everywhere you go. Um, you know, if you work in a bank in Hong Kong, there's actually a tea lady or a tea gentleman that comes by to pour tea for you when you get there in the morning and after lunch. All the restaurants serve tea. And, and even in, in some many of the, you know, the, the, the Chinese restaurants in Hong Kong, the soup of the day is not, you know, just some random thing on the menu. It's actually made with a bunch of medicinal plants, herbs that are suited for whatever season it is, whatever temperature it is, whatever climate it is. So, you know, the soup that you'd get on a hot, humid summer day is completely different than on a, on a dry winter day. And it's meant to be the, you know, the usage of these plants to constantly help rebalance your body and help your, you know, help you reach optimal health. Uh, I moved to, to the U S in my, in my late teens. And I, I went to college, I went to Harvard for college. And as soon as I kind of landed here, probably even before that, you know, life, I got increasingly sucked into this rat race of having to compete, of having to be great, of having to get high paying jobs to impress people, impress my peers, impress my parents, impress my teachers. And it just completely took control of my life till I was about 30. And during those 10 years between um, college and, and, and when I turned 30, it was every year a different sort of infection, whether it was in my nose, my throat or my lung or all three. Typically, it just traveled all the way into my lungs. And I was on this constant rotation of antibiotics every year, at least once and most likely up to three times because I also had skin problems that I developed. And so I took antibiotics for that. And the doctors had me on steroidal nasal spray, asthmatic sprays steroidal creams. And this was just like a very unconscious approach to health, like completely irresponsible where, you know, I was brought up at a time when something was wrong with you, you were told to go see the doctor and you take all of the meds that are prescribed and you listen to everything that they do, right? This is a complete banishment of any sort of traditional, you know, TCM or or other sort of approach to health. That's how I grew up. I'm 42. So it was like an 80s, 90s, right? And during those 10 years, not only did my health not improve, both my lungs actually collapsed. I had to get operations in both lungs. So there's staples in both my lungs. They've both been mm. fused to my chest wall. Wow. No, no rhyme, no rhyme or reason, no, no trauma. It was completely spontaneous. Mm. And even then, it was like not a wake-up call for me to do something different. It was just like it's hereditary, it happens you know, have respiratory infections every year for, for a decade, you know, probably no relation, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. And then when I turned 30, I was in business school. And for a long time, friends had told me, you know, friends, girlfriends, they had been like, hey, you know, there's something wrong with your your breathing at night, you snore, like, you know, it's like an orchestra, right? And so I went to get it checked out. And this, I had severe sleep apnea. I went to the Stanford sleep clinic and, you know, they were like, it's very bad. And then the doctor said, Hey, you know what? You're going to die of premature heart attack or stroke. It's like, you have to do something about it. And you're so young. 
Uh, you should absolutely get the surgery because it's low risk, it's non-invasive. You have to think about your love life and you know, you have the world to, 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 to travel and your life to live. And so I was like, wow, well, you, you know, I, I always listen to doctors and you guys must be the best and you obviously know what you're talking about. So I'm going to do it. And I did the surgery. I was, I celebrated with, you know, it was actually the hump of my, of, of my first and second year of business school. And I was turning 30 years old. And, um, I remember the day that my classmates came to visit me after the operation. First of all, I had to spend the night in ICU, which was surprising to me. And I was, you know, assured that it was routine. And then when my classmates saw me, they were like, holy cow. They they, they looked like, you know, they were in complete shock and horror. Like, you know, it's like when you're filming those people watching a horror movie to gauge their reactions, that's what they look like. <laughs> wow. And they were just like, Simon, like, what happened? Like you were normal, like 24 hours ago, my head had swollen to the size of a basketball (laughs) and, um, and they just could not believe it. And they're like, you didn't tell us that you were this sick. And I was like, I'm not. And they're like, you mean this is like elective? And I was like, yeah, you know, this is like the best way to treat sleep apnea. Like this is the, 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 the new thing. And so they were just shocked. And then I spent about two and a half weeks in on liquid codeine, you know, watched like every single TV show out there because it was so painful. I had to distract myself and the codeine actually wears out over time. It becomes less and less effective. And then when I was finally recovered, I went off to on my merry way to um, I was again, like in the in doing a finance job, which is very, very silly. I think it's a lot of part of my unfulfillment, lack of fulfillment was related to my career. Hmm. I was in Shanghai and um my jaw started swelling a little bit day by day. And I called up my doctor. I was like, hey, I think something might be wrong because there's a swelling. And they're like, oh, no, you might have a um, jawbone infection. And I was like, why? You, you guys didn't do anything to my jawbone. And they said, well, actually, we, we cut a hole in it where it's connected to your tongue. And we, we pulled that piece of bone and the ligament that attaches to your tongue. We pulled it out and we attached it and put it in place with a screw. So there's a screw in your jawbone and a hole in your jawbone. <laughs> and that's how they move your tongue out of the way so you can breathe properly. Wow. All this was all this was news to me, by the way. Like, I don't think I'm like a, 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 a like, you know, completely misinformed or, or, you know, like silly or don't care, like careless. This was news to me. And so I had to quit my job. I had to fly back to, to Stanford and, and they took out the screw. They cleaned it out, closed it up. And they said, well, you know what? We can't identify what's causing the infection. So we need to put you on broad spectrum antibiotics, intravenous administration, which goes into a, a line into your heart valve because it dissolves a regular vein. And you're going to have to do this for two months. So, and they're like, you can either do it yourself and risk a heart infection, or you can go sit in a dialysis or chemo clinic for you know, two, two, like three hours a day on two separate sessions a day. And I was like, you know what? Like, I have to do this myself because it's like completely insane. Like for me to spend two months doing that is is crazy, right? And so that's what happened on, you know, my 30th birthday. I celebrated with this line in my arm. And then when all was said and done, I went to get the um, uh, follow-up sleep apnea test and the the score was worse. My sleep apnea got worse with the surgery because they created so much scar tissue in my airways. And when I went to see my doctor, they were like, well, you know, I told you that, you know, there's like a failure rate of 20%. And, you know, are you ready for stage two? And I was like, what's stage two? And they're like, we completely cut your jawbone apart and open it up. Oh and I was just looking gosh. at the guy as if he was like, you know, uh, I was like hallucinating. right? <laughs> and I was just so shocked that I had been hustled by, you know, 
a businessman, not a doctor, a, a merchant, you know, a, a two bit kind of like merchant to go under the knife at, with my bone and risk an infection. And he wanted to sell me more services. And that was like kind of my wake up call to everything that I had been doing my whole life as far as my health was concerned. Everything. It was just like a complete, you know, like it was like in the belly of the whale sort of scenario for Pinocchio, whereas like, what the heck? It's like, you, you just like, you know, you just died. Like mm-hmm. your, your perception about something just completely went to zero. And I, and I embarked on this kind of journey to learn about alternative approaches to health. It took me all over the world. I learned about TCM. I learned about tea. I got back in touch with the things that I grew up with and completely took for granted. I learned Tai Chi. I, I, I learned Qigong meditation. I literally traveled around the world. I was in Indonesia and Tibet and like China. I went to um, all up and down the Pacific Northwest of, of the U.S. and Canada. Amazing practitioners here. Um, to be healed and to learn the art. And, and, and what, you know, that kind of inspired me. Like, I was like, you know what? Like, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. I hated mm-hmm. finance, hated what I had been doing for the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what led me to start Peak. Wow. So, I, first of all, I didn't know all of that. That is a compelling story. And I'm so sorry you went through all of that. It's insane. But to see that alchemy of all of that pain and all of that heartache and all of that trauma that you went through physically and without a doubt and mentally, emotionally, and that, that puts someone through it as well. Then out of that comes peak. And you are this aficionado of tea. You are a, a tea master in so many ways. Can you t- talk about peak, how it's different, the science behind it? The I, I, It's so fascinating to me. And I, I really know that people would love to hear this, the health side of things when it comes to peak. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the, the reason I decided to start a business in tea was because tea is the lowest common denominator. It's the thing that everybody can drink and realize benefits from. And it's mm-hmm. easy to drink. It's widely accessible. I think that the big issue with tea is really a, a, a cultural one, right? And one of convenience, like we, we you know, brewing tea is a pain. Um, on one of my trips during that kind of health journey that I took, I went to Yunnan province, which is right next to Tibet. It's actually where tea was first discovered 5,000 years ago. And the oldest tea tree there is 3,200 years old. I have a photo with it. Everyone that buys something from people will see me with that tree. It's funny. And the natives there, they're like these kind of um, minority tribes people. They're, they're animists. So they believe in the, the, you know, the rocks and the rivers and the trees. Everything has a spirit. Their whole existence and their culture civilization has been intertwined with the tea tree and they tend to them like you know like gardeners and so they figured out a way to extract the the benefits and the active ingredients from from the tea that's from that region very special type of tea into a paste like it's almost like a resin um, and i saw how they did this uh, they basically take a big pot and they take the tea leaves and they boil it and and that type of tea it's how poor tea is made it, you know, that stuff can be infused, like, you know, infused up to 10, 15 times. It's it's a very elaborate process. But they take a pot and they just throw the tea leaves in and they boil it for like an hour, extracting everything into the water. And then they throw out the leaves and then they reduce that water into a, a resin. They just keep boiling it till all of it's evaporated and then there's a resin and then they scrape it up and they just literally, they eat it. Um, and, you know, going from one village to the next, in the past, it used to be like a three-day hike. So they just eat it and they'd keep them going, keep them energized, keep them vital, keep them, you know, protect, you know, like immune supports because they're exposed to the elements. Um, and I was like, wow, that's that's amazing. That one of the reasons I stopped drinking tea was because 
it was a hassle to brew and the stuff that's easy to brew or out of a bottle is terrible quality. It's, you know, that's why I don't drink it. And so I innovated upon that concept by removing the heat from the extraction process. So we, we, we came up with this cold brew extraction process and the peak tea crystals, the product that we launched with was the, was kind of the result of that. Right. And the benefits of that are threefold. The first one is that you preserve a lot more of the active ingredients in tea through this extraction, right? And so our teas have up to a 12 times higher level of active ingredients than other standard teas and, and way higher than, you know, bottled teas. The second thing, and, and part of that is using, you know, a much higher quality tea leaf to begin with, right? So a lot of people don't understand. They're like, oh, I don't like to drink tea. And you're like, well, you know, what tea do you normally drink? And like, you know, it's like, well, you know, I go to a hotel and, you know, sometimes there are free tea bags and that's what I drink. And of course, that's going to taste horrible. I mean, that's like drinking, you know, like five day old coffee that Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> threw out, you know what I mean? And it's like, you know, you, you went and harvest that stuff. Yeah. Um, that's not going to be a good experience. So there are different qualities of tea leaves. And so, you know, having this process, we're also able to preserve the freshness, right? The freshness has a lot to do with the active ingredient content. So much higher level of efficacy because of a concentrated active ingredient profile. That's number one. So you're more likely to experience the health benefits that you seek from tea. The second thing is a much higher level of purity. So we triple toxin screen for pesticides, um, toxic mold, and heavy metals. Tea is an extremely pesticide-laden crop. It's the second most drank beverage in the world after water outside Mm -hmm. of America, right? Mm -hmm. So you can imagine a a product that's grown industrially like that in, in, in South Africa, South America, they fly planes over to spray the crops, spray the tea crops. That's why they like growing it in Africa because it's very flat not mountainous. Mountainous is very difficult to cultivate. So very, very dirty, um, lots of impurities. Tea also sequesters heavy metals out of the ground. It actually purifies the earth and that ends up in the tea leaves, right? Mm. And stale tea often has mycotoxins in it. So we screen for all of these things uh, because I don't want to, you know, to to benefit from tea, ultimately you have to drink it at least once a day, right? In fact, the the recommended amount by the Harvard School of Public Health is three or more cups a day. Mm -hmm. So that stuff, you know, has to be pure. Right. The third thing is really the accessibility is like what I was talking about. Most people, believe it or not, like most people don't have time or, you know, don't want to deal with the hassle of brewing loose leaf tea with a strainer and a teapot and throwing out the tea leaves and all of that is a huge hassle. Even I rarely do that. You know, I go through periods where I'm like, oh my God, I, I want to do loose leaf. And then I, it's very hard for me to maintain. I just don't like tea bags because there's a whole nother mm-hmm. material that you're brewing, right? And the other stuff is just more like, you know, it's flavored beverage, right? And mm-hmm. so the accessibility of a tea crystal, peak tea crystals, you just put it in cold or hot water. Many of our teas dissolve completely in cold water and you're done. It takes like two seconds. Mm-hmm. So you have something that tastes better, is more effective and is more pure and takes no effort to prepare. Yeah. Um, so those are the three primary benefits of, of our, our teas. Yeah. Wow. So nutrient density, purity, and accessibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is true. So for people that don't know that I've never had a peak tea bag, you basically are opening up a Sachet. Is that what you call them? Sachets? Or? Yeah. Yeah. And then you literally pour it in the water. It is a perfect cup of tea. I love this. And when I'm consulting people 10 hours a day via webcam, that's what I'm sipping on throughout the day. I, I've drank every day for a long, long time. So I want to dive into this kingdom of teas that I love speaking about and love talking about, but I am no expert compared to you. So can you <laughs> expound eloquently on Camellia sinensis and yeah. true, true teas, but then this larger Tisane, you know, kingdom as well? 
Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, you're being very modest because you're incredibly knowledgeable. Um, Thank you. And probably giving me way too much credit. Um, <laughs> doubt that, doubt that. But <laughs> the, uh, the, the, so yes. Okay. So yeah, the whole kingdom of tea, many people think about tea as, you know, Camellia sinensis, as you say, that's kind of like the tea species, right? So when they say drink tea, it typically means, you know, the caffeinated version, which is, which is made from a plant called Camellia sinensis. And that's the most common form of tea, Camellia sinensis. Interestingly, there are many different variants of, of Camellia. Uh, there's Camellia Assamica, Acilia Yunnanensis. So the Yunnanensis is the stuff that's from Yunnan province, this very kind of mm. ancient tea tree, very, very high in polyphenols, higher than the other types of tea out there, right? And so poor tea is made from Camellia Yunnanensis. Wow. Of course, Assamica is from Assam, which is, you know, from India. Then you have Ceylon. There are slight differences in the, um, in the species. But the vast majority is made from Camellia sinensis, including the stuff from Japan. Outside of the world of these traditional teas, you have the world of herbal plants, right? And so mm -hmm. the, the layperson would understand this as non-caffeinated tea. And that includes... Some of them are caffeinated, like yerba mate, but that includes mm -hmm. your stuff like chamomile or roibush or, or you know, ginger and, and turmeric and all of these things. Anything that is infusible and extractable in water, meaning that you can take the plant or root or flower, whatever it is, and you put it in water and water effectively extracts the active ingredients out has now been called herbal tea. Okay. Mm -hmm. So tea is like this huge universe. Mm -hmm. And something that always strikes me is that so many people don't consider themselves tea drinkers in the US and consider themselves coffee drinkers, but you're really talking about the exclusion of the entire universe of plants that you can extract with water, mm -hmm. right? You know, if, if you don't consider yourself a tea drinker in the traditional sense, I highly encourage people to explore the possibilities of drinking roibush or, you know, or, or ginger or turmeric or hibiscus. I mean, like the list just goes on and on. Chamomile, lavender, bourbon, like these plants have tremendous health benefits. They're all different. Mm -hmm. That's like saying that you only eat one type of vegetable and you don't want to touch anything else, right? Mm -hmm. It's like there's there's a good reason why these things are infused in water and they've been doing it for hundreds or thousands of years because it works, right? You mm -hmm. are able to extract the health benefits. So I encourage people to, to certainly think about that. Um, one of the benefits of drinking so many different types of plants is, frankly, it's the easiest way to get it out, right? A lot of supplements are isolates, right? So like, you know, beta carotene is an isolate of something that's in a carrot. You know, all of the stuff that comes in pills are typically isolates. When you have it in a tea form, you get the full spectrum whole plant benefit. Right. And frankly speaking, nobody truly knows whether it's lycopene in the tomato that's great or it's the combination of lycopene plus all the other compounds yeah, that make tomatoes factors. good for you, right? Exactly. That's the whole, the whole full spectrum kind of argument, right? And so, you know, when you drink these plants in, in a tea form, you're getting everything out of it. So that's like one strong argument for, for actually embracing these teas. The second reason, if you've already embraced teas, is that all drinking a mix of these plants gives you the full exposure to a range of polyphenols. It's just kind of like, you know, in vegetables, they say eat the color spectrum. Tea is the same. You know, hibiscus tea is red, and that red is actually an active ingredient. It's the same with black teas versus green teas. Green teas have this greenish yellow color. Matcha is this kind of bright green color. And black teas have this kind of like brown color. Poor teas have a very black color. All of those colors are actually different active ingredients. 
And so the best thing you can do for your body is actually drink a range of them and consume mm-hmm. the range of them. The big challenge here is actually one that I'm sure you're super familiar with. And it's like the education. People are, are mostly approaching these teas and like, oh, I don't like the taste. Or, or like, oh, you know, in some rare cases, people are like, oh, I, I don't like the way it makes me feel. There are actually different ways to drink all these teas that are part of a long tradition of, of you know, hundreds of years old usage, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot something a lot of people don't know is that, you know, most people that drink tea on an empty stomach is going to have some sort of adverse reaction because it's not meant to be drank on an empty stomach for mm-hmm. the for, for many people out there, right? Mm-hmm. Especially Asian people. There's a, there's a TCM kind of disposition thing. And so the recommendation is normally to have a bite of something before you drink your green tea. Mm. Alternatively, you can actually remedy that by adding something like ginger to the green tea. So we have fasting teas that contain a component of ginger in it. Yeah. And that balances the, the cool and the hot, right? Mm-hmm. Which, which harmonizes the effects of it. And so there are lots of things. And, and we have a whole tea drinking protocol that I'd be happy to dive into. But that, I would that love explains to know that. Like, yeah, I would yeah. love to go over that protocol. And but, and before you go over the protocol, can yeah. you just touch a little bit on the fact that the Camellia family, Camellia family is when we talk about green tea, white tea, black tea, pu'er tea, oolong tea, all of these white tea, all of this stuff is the same plant, but yes. it's prepared and grown and everything about its life looks different. I find that fascinating and not many people know it. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think the way for turning, um, you know, so you have the tea tree, right, and the leaves. The way you turn that leaf into like all of these different teas is actually like, I think might be a UNESCO World Heritage because it's so amazing, a part of our, you know, culture, right, and and civilization that we figured out how to turn one leaf into all these different things. Right. When you go to Korea, or you go to Japan, or you go to India, or Sri Lanka, or China, they all have a different way of doing it. And it's, what creates these teas. Yeah. So and the, the comparison that I like to, to, to share with people is that a tea leaf is just like a leaf from a tree, right? It falls in the ground and it's initially green and eventually it turns black, right? Through mm-hmm. the process of oxidation. And then there's also some fermentation going on, right? There are microbes on the leaf, there are microbes in the ground. It's facilitating, there's even some fungi. It's facilitating that transformation process. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now at every stage in that transformation process, is a different set of active ingredients that's being produced by the leaf. This is the process of virtuous fermentation, you know, like turning grapes into wine or, you know, milk into cheese or yogurt or, you know, turning something into a pickle or a kimchi or something like that is a virtuous transformation process, fermentation. And so if you, if you want to think about teas and like the white tea, green tea, the matcha and the black tea and everything else, like think of it as like freezing that fermentation process in time. Mm. It's like, I want it like to be the way it is now. Like I want it to be green or black or whatever. This is, I'm going to freeze it. And the way you do it is with some form of heat. It's very fascinating. It's, and you can either expose it to the sun or you can dry it in an oven or you can steam it. And I'm sure there are a bunch of other ways that you can do it too, but the heat stops that, that, that fermentation process, that oxidative process. And so, you know, people often think of matcha as like, well, you know, is all matcha made with matcha? Matcha leaves. And yeah, the answer is yes and no, right? Like matcha is the result of the same leaf that was used to make Earl Grey. Mm-hmm. It's just that it was, it was, you know, treated and processed in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. And actually, since we're on the topic of matcha, this is one of the most interesting things of all um, is the way matcha is made. The Japanese have come to like a certain 
profile for their matcha. Okay, and and this is determined by the 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 tea ceremony, the schools of tea ceremony. So there are a whole bunch of like very established, very historic schools of tea ceremony in Japan, and they're pretty much the ones that have decided that a good matcha, ceremonial grade matcha, has to look a certain way, has to taste a certain way, has to froth a certain way, and you know some maybe some other variables. But the interesting thing is the taste. They want the matcha to have a high level of umami taste. Which is that kind of like fifth flavor or whatever yeah. flavor? It's kind of like the savory chicken soup, Parmesan cheese, um, you know, ragu sauce. You know, it's got that kind of like slightly savory, but that indescribable salty kind of taste, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, soy sauce, miso, obviously, and so they want that. And tea doesn't naturally produce that, right? So what they have done to create that flavor, I've seen a couple of things. So all the way from like the the, the growing process. We have matcha providers that the tea leaf providers that actually feed fish to their plants. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And you can imagine in fish, there's a lot of, you know, umami in there that, that yes. kind of anchovy taste, right? Mm-hmm. The, but the most common way of doing it is, is through shading. So those of you right. who have been to matcha gardens, matcha farms, you'll see the plants being shaded. Mm-hmm. And you wonder, like, why does the tree need to be shaded to, like, stop the sunlight, stop the photosynthesis? So what's actually happening is that the plant, the leaf as it's growing, has a high level of amino acid in it, okay? Those amino acids actually through, through photosynthesis gets converted into polyphenols. Polyphenols, and I should have explained this word, polyphenols is a different term for antioxidants, right? And if you, if you look deep into what polyphenols are in tea, it's called catechins, right? That's the green tea polyphenol that everybody wants. Mm-hmm. And so photosynthesis transforms amino acids into catechins, okay? So by stopping the photosynthesis process or by, or by kind of, you know, constricting it, you're preserving a much higher level of amino acids in the leaf. Now, amino acids, as you know, liquid aminos is a substitute for soy sauce, which is the taste of umami. So they're actually through the shading process, creating much higher levels of amino acids. And by the way, many, many of your, you know, members of your audience might know L-theanine. L-theanine is is only found in tea. And it's the one thing that's now in many supplements, many kind of sports drinks, many kind of like, you know, like protein shakes, you know, for workout. It's because it it makes you calm, right? It helps your mind enter this alpha state. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it, it helps you maintain a level of, you know, of calmness, right? And so... It's interesting because matcha is used in many monasteries for meditation. Mm. So what initially started off as being kind of a taste thing has kind of dovetailed with a functional thing where if you drink matcha, you're much more likely to go into a deep meditative state. Mm. It's very interesting how taste and active ingredients actually go hand in hand. But that's the the very kind of funny way that we have um, you know, allowed matcha tea to have this taste and also be a, 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 a beverage that's great for mindfulness. I love it. So we have L-theanine, the calming effect. We have the polyphenols to support healthy immune system. Absolutely. A huge myriad of health benefits, by the way. Yeah. Which, can we go know, over a few of those? Go over a few things yeah. that people can can think about on a practical level. Definitely, definitely. So before that, you know, the most important thing is, you know, in order to experience any health benefits, three or more cups of tea is recommended a day. To, to many people, that's like, oh my God, like, how am I going to do that? It's impossible. I don't even like the flavor. Um, that's like I before would, 8 a.m. for me. I mean, it's like, I'm, yeah, that's yeah, so exactly. easy for me. Anyway. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, the big thing about that is it's a cultural thing, right? It's like, you need to find the instances where drinking good tasting, delicious tea is super easy. 
Now, anywhere you go in Asia, even in the Middle East and, and also in Europe, it's very easy to do that because everywhere you go, it's like, would you like some tea? Would you right. like tea or coffee? In Asia, they don't even ask. They just give you a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and, and so it's very easy and it's a cultural thing. It's like, first, you need to recreate that that setting um, in your in your home or in your office or whatever. And, you know, obviously, PT is designed to, to make that easier. So the first thing is like the, the, the frequency and the, and the amount, right? So going into the health benefits, in order to reap those health benefits, again, it's like a, a frequency volume thing. But okay, so now the health benefits are divided into many different types. Each different type of tea has a different health benefit, which is crazy. It, it actually makes things harder, not easier. The green tea polyphenols, catechins, generally recognized for being you know, effective for supporting a healthy immune system, right? So antioxidants, just like in blueberries, all that sort of stuff. Tea is one of the highest polyphenol containing foods out there, right? And so it's generally good for immune support. It's good for anything that you would want an antioxidant for, right? Scavenging free radicals, all that sort of stuff. Um, as you go into the black tea spectrum, as the green tea turns black, those compounds in there, flavanols, theoflavin is actually the name of the, the pigment that's in black tea. Those compounds are generally known for their, their help with kind of digestion support. So supporting healthy digestion, you know, supporting healthy, um, you know, metabolic system, all that sort of stuff. It turns into kind of like an immunity thing into like, you know, a, a digestion thing. Right. And then you have the different spectrums in between. So an oolong tea is like kind of a, they call it a semi-fermented tea. It's kind of like in between, right? Mm -hmm. So it's offering you kind of a bit of both. I think the huge mis mis misunderstanding for a lot of people is that they've seen all the research on green teas and they're like, green teas are good. Let's forget about all the other teas. Um, that's actually not the case. They have very, very different health benefits. Mm -hmm. And most people, when you start to become experienced with tea, you'll notice that your body prefers one type of tea. That's because of the disposition of your body. It's telling you that this is more suitable for me. And so you should listen to your body and actually mm -hmm. stick to that kind of tea. Everybody needs a different kind of, you know, a different profile, right, of, of plants. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. And so you um, touched upon the, the tea protocol that you talk about, that you advocate for or recommend for people to consider. What, what's, what's that look like? What's that tea protocol look like? Yeah. Okay. So again, this depends a lot on the health, on the health goals, right? There is just mm -hmm. like, there's such a huge universe of health goals that we, that we encounter and think about that I haven't, you know, touched upon. Generally speaking, um, what we suggest is people wake up in the morning. Um, a lot of people are fasting, regardless, you wake up in the morning, you're fasted, right? Cause mm -hmm. you haven't been eating when you're sleeping. The decision then is that, are you going to continue to fast and not eat breakfast? Or are you going to eat something? Okay. If you're going to eat something, you can drink any tea that you like, green tea, black tea, herbal tea. It doesn't really matter. I would suggest that if you're looking for a, a, a wake up, um, you know, something to boost your energy, drink the black tea. Caffeine in black tea is much more bioavailable. So it's going to hit you sooner, right? If you want a slower onset of energy, this is a whole nother topic. You drink green tea because green tea caffeine is actually time release. So it's mm. much more likely to last you into... You don't need that immediate hit, but you want it to last like through lunch. Green tea is much better, mm -hmm. right? It, we'll talk about lunch after, but if you've decided to fast and you don't want to eat anything, then try drinking green tea, see how your stomach feels. But majority of people, not an issue, right? So you can continue drinking green tea in the mornings fasted. If it's an issue, that doesn't mean green tea is no longer an option for you, right? 
you can drink it with ginger in it. You can drink it with other herbs in it. Um, you know, you can mix. We have an herbal fasting tea that has burdock, it has bergamot, it has mint. You can put mint in it. There are many things that you can put in it to offset that that very very cooling effect that green tea has on an empty stomach. That's a TCM kind of approach. Then you get to lunch, right? During the lunchtime, generally speaking, green tea is fantastic to drink at lunch. And the reason for that is because by lunch, many people want that gradual release because they want to be energized through to dinner and after and wind down, right? Black tea after lunch, while it's good, it will help you know with digestion support. That caffeine is typically going to run out, right? So it depends. If you're going to have like you know a, a smoked ribs and brisket for lunch, then you know what you might want black tea because that's heavy duty, right? You want to digest. But if you're just going to have a regular lunch, then green tea might well be the the best option for you to last till dinner. Right. And that's pretty much like, you know, fasting agnostic. Right. Um, when you get to the dinner time, rarely do people want caffeine at dinner time, although it's very common in, in, the, in the Far East. Right. And in India. Um, but in most cases here in the U.S., people want to shift towards the herbal teas now. And this is, by the way, now you're getting your three cups a day. Herbal teas are, are there's just so many choices for people. You know, we have a ginger digestion elixir. Amazing. You know, warming in the winter. Great for digestion. We have a hibiscus tea, has been used traditionally in Mexico for, for, for a very long time. Uh, Mexicans like to drink hibiscus with their meals because, again, it supports healthy digestion and is great. Uh, ours is mixed with mint. It has a bit of um, stevia, stevia leaf, not refined stevia in it. Wonderful. Then we have also mushroom elixirs. I mean, we have like, you know, 20-something teas. So there's like a huge range that you mm -hmm. can choose from. Um, I like to think of the mushroom elixirs as in like, you know, it's like, okay, I'm not going to have a glass of wine tonight. Mm -hmm. or a mezcal or something I want, that's what I turn to because right. it has a much bigger kind of, you know, oomph. Um, it's got a much bigger kind of calming effect for me. But that's kind of like, you know, roughly speaking, that's the the gamut that we're talking about. I love that. So I, I'd like to pivot now into, I've heard you talk so um, brilliantly about this in years past when we've hung out together, but tea and fasting and maybe touch upon the fasting box that we have uh, coming out for, with intuitive fasting. And just for people to know this, I have a whole section in intuitive fasting about teas for this very reason of this, this using teas uh, during fasting, which you touched upon, but I'd like to talk a little bit about the history there, but also as a meditative tool and a mindfulness tool and how I see all of these things are so interconnected. I really would like you to tell everybody about this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I love talking about meditation because it's a huge part of my life. Mm -hmm. I meditate and do Tai Chi every single morning. It, so the tradition of it is that in a lot of monasteries, monks and nuns don't eat very much. They're not having like, you know, huge fees and most of them are, are vegetarian, right? Mm -hmm. And so throughout the day, they're drinking tea at the same time. You, This is an interesting thing. If you go to any monastery, the monks and nuns have given up everything. I mean, like their families, their, you know, their clothes, their possessions, what they want to eat, like where they live, like what bed they sleep on, but they drink tea constantly throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a huge testament to how important that is to monastic life. And obviously for us who don't live in a monastery, how important that is to mindfulness, to spiritual health, emotional health, all that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And obviously tying tied to that is the whole fasting thing. They are effectively fasting at, at, at some point, right? You know, on some degree, okay? And the brilliant thing about fasting 
is that it significantly improves mental clarity, especially suitable for meditation, right? So I've never had as much clarity as I do when I fast and drink tea and then do meditation. It's just incredible because your body is not using its energy to digest, especially if you're a meat eater, digesting like a, you know, a huge piece of meat. I love eating meat, but like it's not the best thing to do to eat a steak and then go meditate. Like, you know, it's actually not recommended in, mm -hmm. in certain, you know, meditation practices. So the combination of those two things are great. Now, why is tea good for fasting, right? There are a couple of things happening there. The first one is that there's been a linkage between catechins and the hunger hormone ghrelin, which I'm sure you talk about at length and, and something that, you know, our friend, Dr. Jason Fung loves to talk about. Ghrelin is the hunger hormone, right? And so catechins and tea actually help you manage, you know, healthy levels of ghrelin. So when you're fasting and, you know, the ghrelin hormone is produced and you feel hungry and you want to eat something, that makes fasting harder, right? You're more likely to break your fast. You're more likely to, to you know, get very agitated. Um, and so tea actually reduces that. It, it helps, well, I should say that it helps manage, you know, healthier levels of ghrelin or, or normal levels of ghrelin during the fasted state, right? So in a way, it supports satiety. That's the translation. It actually provides a sense of satiety, meaning that you're not going to feel as much of an urge to eat or snack, um, and you're likely to stay fasted for longer. Mm -hmm. Again, tying into mon monastic life, very interesting, right? Mm -hmm. um, these monks meditating all day long and eating very little. In many cases, people fast to, for weight management, right? A lot of the things tea are known for, particularly catechins, catechins have shown, you know, there's been a linkage between thermogenesis, which is the conversion of calories to, to, to energy, generation of heat in the body. Jason Fung also talks about this. There's a linkage between catechins and caffeine and tea to that process, mm -hmm. right? And so tea also supports the health goals of fasting. There's a third parameter, which is that tea in all its different types and forms provides a stimulus a very welcome break from fasting that is not it, technically it's breaking your fast because mm -hmm. you know there's some minute amount of calories in tea right but i think it's very generally recognized now and jason Fung talks about this too um, is that the benefits of drinking tea far outweigh the, the kind of technical breaking of the fast right mm -hmm. so so it's actually providing you with um with variety so you know you're sitting there you know on your 12-hour fast you're not just drinking water you can actually drink tea and that's a huge relief for people because there's almost nothing else that they can consume, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be, you know, kind of good for fasting. And so mm -hmm. the combination of these three things are, are, are why, you know, tea is really kind of like, you know, the number one beverage for fasting. Mm -hmm. And and on top of that, that you mentioned the altheony and the calming effect. Do you absolutely? Do you actually? I think you've told me this in the past, but you're 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 doing meditation, but also the mm -hmm. specific physical act of drinking the tea and how to use that physical act of drinking the tea as a meditation. Can you talk a little bit about that? Just something simple yeah. of doing that and turning something so mundane into something so sacred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thich Nhat Hanh talks about this a lot. Um, you know, like the world is in a sip of tea or something, or, you, or the universe is in a cup of tea. That was terrible paraphrasing. But um, the, the, <laughs> the reason why tea ritual is considered a ritual is because actually the process of making a cup of tea is meant to be difficult, is meant to be complex, and is meant to be very elaborate. And if you lose attention um, and focus during that process, 
your cup of tea is not going to turn out well. It's just because it's a very complicated process in a good way. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of like making a pot if you're a potter or painting a painting. You know, if you're not focused, it's not going to turn out very well. And, and to give you an example, the way that people froth matcha in a Japanese tea ceremony, the room, flower, the painting, you know, the way you turn the bowl, the way you, you whisk, where you put the whisk, the way you drink, all of that is part of the tea ceremony. That the water, you're supposed to listen to the water. Because through the sound of the bubbles, you're going to know how hot it is. Mm. That's actually, it's completely meditative. It's a form yeah. of meditation, right? In Chinese tea ceremony, you have a lot of different utensils. You're meant to wash the tea. Then you brew the tea in a pot. You know, you're supposed to, again, listen to the water. You're supposed to not use a clock or a timer. You're supposed to just feel and, and be meditated. And the way you pour it and you smell it and you drink it, the whole process is, is, you know, it takes 10 minutes, 15 minutes. That's why it's a tea ritual, because it's very complicated and you need to stay focused. And at the end, you get this wonderful reward, which is an amazing cup of tea. And of course, even when you're drinking it, you have now, it's almost like you've done the yoga. Now you can meditate, mm -hmm. right? And so that whole preparation is the, is the yoga. And when you're drinking the tea, that's okay. Now you can enter that. You are rewarded through the meditation mm -hmm. at the very end, the shavasana. I love that. So, yeah. And so that's lost, right. In, in making a tea bag. So some people, some people, you know, talk to us and they're like, Oh, you know, I love the ritual of the tea bag. You know, the peak is not providing you with the tea ritual, but you know, the tea bags already a very huge departure from what a tea ritual is meant to be. Mm -hmm. And honestly speaking, the way that I think about tea crystals is that one, you have to be realistic about what you're going to be able to do three times a day, right? Right. The second thing is that just because it's made through a tea crystal doesn't mean that the temperature of the water is not critically important. Mm -hmm. And you can you can use a, a kettle that's you know on a on a flame. Mm -hmm. That's much harder than using an electric kettle with mm -hmm. an automatic temperature timer, mm -hmm. right? And when you drink the tea. That's actually really the opportunity for you to be mindful is when you're sipping it, like what's Absolutely. going through your mind, right? Yeah. Are you using your phone? You know, I mean, yeah. are you watching TV or are you just sitting there looking out the window at a tree? Mm -hmm. So well, well said. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's how I use it. I'm using, I'm using the actual sipping itself as the meditation and, and then the whole preparation process, which you've made quite simple for our busy modern lifestyle, but it's, yeah. it's the sipping that is really helpful for me as a present moment awareness and a calming practice. Yeah. You've touched upon the, the fasting teas. Can you talk a little bit about that? I want people to kind of know about Absolutely. the kit we have out. Yes, absolutely. So we have a number of different fasting teas. So one of the, I guess, well, there are a couple of hero ingredients here. There's a ginger um, fasting tea, which is, a, which is a blend of ginger digestion kind of herbs, as well as a green tea in, in, in a, with the green tea in a smaller ratio, right? And so that's kind of that harmonized, like people just like, you know, people are very into green tea. They just want green tea, right? And so that's like the harmonized version of that that everyone can, can pretty much enjoy. Then there's a, there's a straight up green tea, which is the, the, the master, uh, the, the fasting matcha green tea. That's literally the combination of the highest polyphenol, highest catechin green teas that we have. Right. Um, and so it's got matcha, it's got sencha, it's a proprietary blend of these very, very high kind of, you know, polyphenol green teas. That's definitely not for somebody that has green tea sensitivities first thing in the morning. Then we have a, an herbal, um, fasting tea right? Cinnamon, it's got cinnamon, it's got bergamot, um, it's got um, burdock, 
It's got all of these plants, mint, you know, mint, the geishas used to chew on a mint leaf before the meals because it helped um, provide satiety so that because it was impolite, they thought it was impolite to eat too much at a meal. Mm-hmm. So they chew on a mint leaf prior. And so it's got mint in it. Um, and then we have uh, another very interesting tea, which is the bergamot black fasting tea. And so bergamot is a wonderful, wonderful fruit. Um, you know, it's from, it's from Calabria, Italy. That's where we get our bergamot from. That's where it's originally from. That's where we source it. Um, and it's, it's this thing. It's, the, it's like the rind of a citrus kind of lemon cross with orange. Not so sweet as an orange, not as sour as a, as a citrus, but it's got that kind of that rind um, flavor to it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an amazing product. It tastes like a very refined lemon tea, lemon black tea, right? Yeah. Which a lot of people like the flavor of. So those are our fasting teas. And, you know, really we designed them so that everyone can have a different tea for a different part of the day, also according to a different protocol. And obviously for the collaboration that we have together, it's the three, you know, leading, the three leading plants. Great. Um, so people can check all of that, all the teas and the fasting teas, everything. Can you give them the website? Yes. So our website is www.peaktea.com. And that's spelled P-I-Q-U-E-T-E-A dot com. Great. And before we go, I don't know if you've ever shared this story before. You've told me this a couple of years ago, if you could share it, where the logo of the Peak Tea came from. Uh, I find that story fascinating of where, where it came to be. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that is an old story. So... This was roughly after about a year or two after I started meditating. So it was roughly like, you know, between eight and 10 years ago. And uh, I was, you know, at that point, I, I, you know, I was meditating for like an hour, sometimes more a day. And um, there was something that, you know, I always knew that, you know, I'm constantly searching for ways to kind of make this product more perfect, right? It's just the part of my, my nature. And one of the things that I realized was, I you know, the packaging of the product in in the in the in the sticks. I, I never thought that that fully reflected the experience that you're getting out of the product. You just kind of tear the stick open and pour it out, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't reflect that. You know, we won three gold medals at the Global Tea Championships. We work with like family farms. These people are like third generation tea farmers. Our matcha is blended by like you know a tenth degree tea master. None of that is reflected in tearing open a stick and like pouring that, right? <laughs> and so I became like very into the idea of like, how do we present this in a different way um, that fully reflects the experience, right? That you would get like after performing this elaborate tea ritual. Because after a 20 minute tea ritual, that tea is going to be amazing, right? Like even if it's exactly the same as peak, you're going to be like, damn, that's like the best tea ever. <laughs> and so I wanted an experience that reflected that. And so I became like very interested in the idea of creating a device, right? And I was meditating, I was in Hong Kong and suddenly I was like, well, you know, to make this device, like, you know, who's, who would be the right person to do this? And it's like, well, you know, of course it would be Johnny Ive because he's the foremost, you know, kind of product industrial, you know, designer, um, obviously consumer products, all about the user experience, all about elevating a brand and an experience and all of that. It's gotta be Johnny Ive. And at this point, I think Steve Jobs was already, you know, I mean, he, Johnny Ive was already very important. Like he was clearly number two at, at Apple. And I was like, oh, that's, that's ridiculous. Like, how would I contact somebody like him? And then after the meditation, I was like, well, you know, there is a guy I know who's mentioned that he's hung out with Johnny before. And it's, you know, when he goes to, when, when they are about to launch a new product, like a new iPhone, 
the whole team goes to China to visit the the, the factory, right? To to do QC and do whatever, and you know, and then they come to Hong Kong and they celebrate because like everything's great and the QC is passed, and they're like, wow, we're going to launch the new greatest device, you know, on earth. And so they come to Hong Kong and they celebrate and they party. And and my friend owns um, a club. It's like a club bar restaurant. And um, and Johnny goes there every time he he's in Hong Kong. And I was like, hey, you know, um, I was like, Gilbert, can you um, introduce me to, to Johnny? This is like one of those things where you expect to hear or no, right? <laughs> yeah. And and he instantly replied, you know, such a wonderful friend. And he's like, yeah, sure. Let me reach out and see what happens. And again, I was like, you know, this is like a 0.01% chance. And Johnny instantly texted him back and said, yes, I'd be happy to meet with Simon. Um, I'm in, you know, in Hawaii and I'll be back, you know, in, in Cupertino in, in two weeks. You know, he can come see me then. And I was just like completely blown away, right? Like just shocked. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, I immediately booked my tickets. Um, and then I was thinking like, what am I going to do? Well, like, you know, I have like probably 15 minutes with Johnny. What am I going to do, right? And then one of my good friends came up with this idea. He's like, hey, you know, Simon, why don't you do a traditional Chinese tea ceremony for him and then show him peak and have him compare the two? And I was like, that's genius. Like, that's what I have to do. And then I remembered that, that the tea set is critically important. I have this tea set and I had one that my college girlfriend gave me and I, and I needed that tea set, right? This was like, you know, I mean, I was like 10, 10 12 years, right? The past. Mm-hmm. She's married, and I and I <laughs> I called her and I lost pieces of that tea set, right? And I called her up. I was like, "Hey, Stephanie, um, remember that tea set you gave me? I was like, I, I need one, and I need it like in a week, like you know, or in a week and a half. I was like, you know, and and I'm flying like in a week. I, can you please buy one for me and send it FedEx it to NorCal? I was staying in like you know Palo Alto or something. Can you send it to my hotel?" <laughs> And she said, yes. And she, and she found one and she, and she FedExed it to me and I got it, I think like three days before my meeting. And I immediately started practicing with it because I didn't want to spill water all over the place. You know, it's just one of those things, it's tiny little pieces. I liked it because it was very compact. Everything was in a box. And, um, and so I practiced, I perfected it. And then I went into the meeting with Johnny and I brought a friend of mine um, at the point. He was like a mentor advisor and he was like the CEO of Coke China. And I was like, okay, I'm going to bring in somebody, you know, with a, with a, you know, this kind of patina, executive patina. And so he came with me and we, and we went in to the, to the office and, you know, Johnny's assistant said, Hey, you have 15 minutes. And I was like, Oh, that's great. That's super generous. Right. Um, and so we went in and I did this whole tea ceremony, took all the pieces out of the box and Johnny was mesmerized by all the pieces coming out of this tiny little box. Right. And then I did the tea ceremony and he tasted it and he's a tea drinker. So he knows and then I and then I said, hey Johnny, I think you know this. I want to show you how we've been brewing tea in, in China for two thousand years. And I did it. And I think you know I've come up with a solution for how we're going to be doing it for the next you know two thousand years. And I made the peak for him, and he, and he was blown away. I was like, he's like, this is amazing. And I was like, well, you know, I have a design problem, and that's why I'm here, and I'd like your help solving it. And I was like, I don't think this packaging reflects the experience that you're getting. And then he went into this meditation. He was like, he looked like he was in agony, like almost like he was crying without tears. And I was like, oh my God. And he was silent for like, seemed like a long time, but it was at least like a couple minutes. And my friend and I were sitting there looking at each other like, oh my God, what's happening? <laughs> and um, I don't know how much time we have, but you know, you can edit this, but he, he, he came out of it and he said, um, 
it's like he woke up and he's like, Simon, I'm going to tell you something um, that's that Steve used to tell me. And I was just like, holy crap. Like, (laughs) did you just say those words? (laughs) And I was just like, okay. And he's like, I want you to check your ambition. Mm. Okay. And I was like, what do you mean? Uh, You know, like, of course, I didn't say that. Like in my head, I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, you know, when I when he's like, when I designed the, the interface for the iPhone, the first one, it was the most revolutionary human computer interface that had ever existed up to that point. And when I, when, when it was done, I went to Steve, I said, Hey, Steve, I Steve, like, we're going to launch this. And I think we should do it in a tablet. And if you recall during those days, the only tablet that was out was like, you know, the Palm, the Palm, right. It was like a flop. And then there was right. like Microsoft had one and that was a flop too. And Steve was like, um, you know, Johnny, I want you to check your ambition because you've designed the most advanced human computer interface ever. He's like, you need to launch this in a device that everyone is intimately familiar with. Because if you launch this in a device that nobody is familiar with, you're combining two unknowns together, two completely different, you know, revolutionary things. And the amount of education you're going to do is, is, is going gonna, is gonna to kill the product. And that's how they decided to launch the iPhone. So they launched the most advanced interface in a, in a, in a format that everyone knew. And then, of course, after that, they launched the iPad. And then, yeah. you know, the rest is history. And so he said, Simon, he's like, I can see everyone drinking Peak instead of tea bags. I cannot see everyone carrying Peak around with them in a, in a kind of a, a device, right? What I wanted was a device, so a portable device for carrying Peak peakers. So he's like, what you should do is launch your product in all of the places that people are, are, are used to drinking tea. And so in all the office pantries and all the, you know, whatever, like the, the kitchens and think of all of those environments, step one. And after they adopt that, then you can think about a device. And then after that, he recommended, you know, a designer for me to work with, which is, was, you know, one of the Japanese designers on their team who owned a tea store in, in Kyoto, uh, like a cafe. And we had this incredible interaction together in one of the subsequent meetings, we were sitting at the uh, Hotel Okura in Tokyo, me and this Japanese designer, Shin, and they were about to tear down the Okura. And, and on, the, um, on the wall was this amazing lattice work of all this wood, you know, like a wood lattice, right? Mm-hmm. And it was shaped after a maple leaf. And he said, oh, you know, this is Johnny's favorite, you know, this is his iPhone wallpaper. I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. So I took a photo of it. And as I was thinking about the... Um, the logo for peak we had happened upon many different iterations of leaves natural elements like my whole thing is like nature meets science right so how do we present both and um and we went through so many iterations those have been hundreds and finally like i was like hey you know what this lattice is interesting how about we create a, a tea leaf that is like a japanese wood lattice work because it looks so modern and minimal and scientific at the same time as, as kind of natural and elemental so that's the very long story i love it <laughs> I love that I like story. The logo. I know. I just love talking to you so much. And I know people would love to hear that story. We'll love to hear that story um, about the, the behind the scenes of how the, the logo yeah. came to be. Simon, I've thanks so much. I've never told that story. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's a first. I figured yeah. you didn't. I figured you didn't. Yeah. Uh, but thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. My friend, thanks so much for taking the time out. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you, Will. Really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. Simon Chang, ladies and gentlemen, I love this guy. If you want to learn more about Peak Tea, check out peaktea.com, P-I-Q-U-E-T-T-E-A 
com. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. Thanks for those. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. All right, now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. This question is from Dan. Dan asks, Hi, Dr. Cole. It's overwhelming when I see all the supplements out there. What are some of the foundations you recommend that we take? Thanks for the question, Dan. Well, everybody is different, right? I mean, this is bio-individuality. This is the heart of what I do in functional medicine. So I don't obviously know your case specifically, Dan, and everybody's different, needs different things. So uh, it would be not proper for me to give specifics to your case, but I would say if you're talking about foundation support, like core stuff that people can consider and discuss with your doctor, of course, and let me preface all of this with um, something that hopefully you've learned by now during on the show is that food comes first. You can't supplement your way out of a poor diet. So start with food, start leaning into food as medicine, food as nutrition, start leaning into taking care of yourself when it comes to every meal is another opportunity to nourish your body, to heal your body, to to feel great with food. Um, so that's first. But from there, I'll tell you clinically my clinical experience and some trends that I definitely see when it comes to targeted supplement support to support your health. Uh, so first, I would say a lot of people are deficient in vitamin D. Vitamin D is responsible for thousands of different genetic pathways, really important for brain health, for immune health. It's important for regulating inflammation, supporting mood health. So many far-reaching implications when somebody has increased risk factors when they have vitamin D deficiency. So consider uh, vitamin D3 with the vitamin K2. You can always test that. These are labs that we run for people around the world, but you can have any doctor run it. Um, And we want uh, in functional medicine, the optimal range for vitamin D is about 60 to 80. Uh, so a lot of people are deficient in that. So vitamin D3 with the vitamin K2, which is another fat-soluble vitamin, both are really important for optimal immune health and regulating a lot of different pathways in the body. Um, the next thing would be a methylated B vitamin. So something with methylfolate, methylcobalamin, or B12 and folate, these are methyl donors. These are basically carbon, hydrogen, CH3 groups that help to recycle um, something called homocysteine, an inflammatory marker down. It just supports a lot of different things in the body. Methylation is very, very complex, but it's needed for mood support and lowering inflammation levels, hormone support, energy levels, a lot of different pathways in the body that methylated B vitamins can be helpful. Of course, you're getting this from food, but if your food's maybe not as optimal some days, or maybe you just need extra, uh, a lot of my patients have MTHFR gene variants or other methylation gene variants, which can slow down the absorption of these from food. So supplementing to basically overcompensate to support the body. Uh, That is something to consider. Um, Omega fish oil or some sort of omega long chain omega fats is something to consider. They're plant-based versions like with um, different algae oils that could be helpful, Uh, but a good quality fish oil with proper omega-3, 6, and 9 balance there is something to consider. 
And then some people, if they're struggling with inflammation, I think a curcumin supplement that's, you know, quality standardized with curcuminoids, which is the bioavailable compound in turmeric, that can be something to support healthy balance inflammation levels. And adaptogens are another thing that not everybody necessarily needs, but a lot of people can benefit from. Um, so things like ashwagandha, rhodiola, holy basil can be helped to balance stress and improve the body's adaptation to stress if you're struggling with a stressful time or just want some healthy calming support. That's something to consider too. And then some people could benefit from some sort of liver support, support liver detoxification pathways. Things like uh, sulforaphane extract from broccoli extract, like N-acetylcysteine for specific cases. Not everybody necessarily needs that all the time, but maybe specific times in your life or maybe you're going through a stressful time where you're not eating so clean and you want to sort of clear things out and support your body's own mechanism. So all of the things I just mentioned, almost all of them, are extracted from food. So food is first. These are just therapeutic doses of, of things to support the body. So that's honestly why we released the collection. So if you go to drwillcole.com, look in the shop if you wanna check out ours, but there are many reputable um, options online for you to consider. That's it for today. Thanks again for hanging out with me. I would love to know what you think about the art of being well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday. And I hope you will too. Talk soon.